Welcome everyone to this episode. In this one, we're going to talk about DeFi, stands for decentralized finance, and uh, what what it really entails. You may have heard of this word being spun around and you know, various articles and stuff. So today we kind of wanted to do a deep dive into what exactly is DeFi and should you care? <laughs> so without further ado, let's dive in. The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only. All right, Murga, this is a fun one. Yeah, you're preempting. Is it going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy? I don't know. It's just such a hype topic. It was the, all the DeFi was all the talk and the rage in the summer. Now it's NFTs, but... We'll have to do an episode on NFTs a little bit later. Yeah, for sure. For those of you NFTs that are hearing this for the first time, NFT stands for non-fungible token. But we are going to focus on the other acronym today, which is DeFi, which stands for decentralized finance. Yeah, that's not an acronym. It's just a shorthand. Oh, that's true. Never mind. <laughs> but that's okay. Uh, decentralized there, I'm sure finance. a Latin word for D and Fi. I don't know if that would oh, make it an acronym. Never mind. So <laughs> we're going to talk about decentralized finance. And um, Keegan, you've written a letter on this. It's um, We're going to link it in the show notes. So, you know, this is the audio format of us talking about decentralized finance. If you want to read about it, then it'll also be in the show description. It's a newsletter that Keegan has written. Yeah, we break it down in the newsletter. And this is this is simply just your audio yeah. format of, of that. And, yeah. and like we'll also cover various topics because there's things that come to mind when we're just, you know, going off the cuff and, and talking about DeFi here on the show rather than uh, the curated experience that you get with the, the letter. For sure. So DeFi, what is it? Simply, simply put, um, when you think of centralized services, financial again, services, centralized financial services, and, you know, just going to pick one central bank, Right you get financial services from one central entity. It's the bank. What decentralized finance means is that this centralized entity that you've always uh, had access to financial services through is no longer the only player in the game. Decentralized finance makes the ability to offer financial services uh, available for anyone who has money. I cool. feel like that I was like not, that. is that no, simply no, no, enough no, That was awesome. Yeah, I love that. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, you know, let's talk about the four financial services that you get at the bank. Yeah, I just, I broke it up into four, but maybe we can even talk about the fifth one that I didn't cover in the letter. Uh, but the four that I broke it up into is storing. So the bank keeps your money safe, right? Let's, this... uh, let's actually list all of them and then elaborate okay, on them. Cool, yeah. yeah. Storing, sending, lending and loaning. Uh, which is credit, and then the last is investment, investment in stocks and bonds and uh, just anything that you can buy in the stock market, basically. Yeah. All right, what was the fifth one? The fifth one is insurance. Oh. Yeah. But I feel like insurance is already decentralized. Because, uh, I mean... Yeah, we... I mean, like, you can get it from lots of places, but I can't necessarily offer a friend of mine insurance, right? I can't give... I'm not, like, registered or licensed... To be an insurer for my friend's right. car, for example. I okay. think we could have like a peer-to-peer -peer agreement 
but it'd be up to the two of us to, to uphold that agreement. And furthermore, if that person got pulled over and they're legally required to have that insurance, yeah, whatever insurance, whatever deal I have with that person, I don't know if the, the officer would be like, yeah, that, that looks legit to me. Right. Well, like, you know, you saying that is bringing this up to me and uh, this, this thought up, which is decentralized finance is still not decentralized enough because, you know, let's say that we are, uh, we can offer lending services. If we have a uh, thousand extra bucks and we want to lend out a thousand extra bucks, make some interest on it because we don't need it right now. Um, we're still not lending out these these thousand dollars to someone we know like it's not a peer-to-peer interaction per se but we are giving to a um uh, an application that is facilitating this for us yeah that application in a sense is centralized it's a centralized piece right. but if it's deployed in a decentralized way uh, then it's it's more or less decentralized uh that's what do you mean of, by that that's kind of the ethos behind it all uh, I mean by that, uh, so decentralized finance is, is all the centralized services that we just went over. So storing, sending, sending and receiving, credit and investment, those are typically provided to you by a centralized bank, as you covered earlier. Uh, code can now offer those same services, and the code facilitates that agreement. Okay, so let's talk about some DeFi services that are available. Well, do we want to go through these four? Uh, yeah, just one question, though, and then we can go okay, back. Okay, okay, let's, let's do it. <laughs> so can, can you name any DeFi services? Uh, that people may have heard of. Yeah. Uniswap would be one. Uh, I think that's the first one that comes to most people's mind. Um, but so I kind of take a different approach with this. Like, There's been a huge association with DeFi and Ethereum. But I like to think that DeFi, like if you use the way that I think about it, then Bitcoin is DeFi. And it really is because Bitcoin lets you store and send and receive. And that might be only be two of the four DeFi services, but it's still DeFi, especially because it's providing storing and sending and receiving. In, in on like a peer-to-peer a, basis, like pe- the most peer, to, the most direct, the most peer-to-peer basis you can find. Yeah. The, the thing I was going to say with, with, with respect to Bitcoin and sending and storing uh, is that it does it perfectly. Whereas there's a, a very good argument to be made that the DeFi services that have come out in the last couple of years... They're, they're, there's bugs all through them. <laughs> that was where most of the hacks came from right. last summer. Uh, if you heard of any like crypto hacks, uh, there there were these these DeFi platforms that got drained because an intelligent hacker exploited them, saw that they could drain millions of dollars out of them in seconds, and that's right. exactly what they did. Hacker or a group of hackers. True. True. Right. All right. So then, for credit lending, um, like for credit and investment, yeah, is there any truly decentralized platform that enables peer-to-peer um, lending and peer-to-peer investment. Ethereum would be the closest kind of platform that I would say. I don't I don't personally think it has achieved it yet. Um, I think it's got a couple of issues left to solve before it really earns that title. Um, right. And then in the meantime, there's all sorts of other platforms that aim to, to quote unquote kill Ethereum and take over its uh, number two spot. But um, right. yeah, that's what Ethereum aims to do. It's definitely laid the groundwork. Right. Yeah. I just want to bring this, this short thing up. Um, you know, you said earlier that it's code that facilitates the transaction between two people to make it most direct. And that's that's kind of what Bitcoin is. It's a code base that enables you to, um, you know, electronically make a transaction as if you would with cash. It's known as electronic cash. Um, so with respect to credit and investment, it's 
so interesting for me to think of some sort of um you know software that will allow me to give a give credit out to a friend of mine in Australia for example without going through a third party because right now my friend would use a third party and I would use a third party and they are the centralized the siloed entities and we don't really know what happens to that money but if um, there was something more transparent something you know more accessible to the whole world so that that's actually the two things that really distinguish a centralized entity from okay. a non from a decentralized entity what? is transparency yeah. and accessibility right right because centralized financial services they when you walk into the bank they get discretion on who they serve right because right. they're a private business and they might see you as a liability rather than an asset uh, furthermore and if you walk into the bank with no money they're not going to give you financial services that makes sense you know for being the entity that they are like there, there can be an argument made to say well you know if you're not good on your credit then why are we going to give you some more totally yeah, yeah the argument stands but uh <laughs> it's just not a very humanitarian argument right like we would like to imagine a world where banks can give financial services to, any, uh, to everyone but at the end of the day they're running a business so on the one hand that like they're not exactly designed to be ethical that's true i think when well you know <laughs> I, I wouldn't I don't know if I can say agree to everything that you just said. However, the the fact about um, them being run as a business, I don't think most people understand that. Because, um, right. <laughs> you know, when you think of a bank, you just feel like you can trust the bank. Um, you We have so many phrases like, oh, I'm going to bank on you for doing mm, this. True. Or um, you got to... Go go run to the bank. I'm not sure. I'm like, <laughs> gonna, gonna bank on you is the only thing that I can think of. Yeah. Um, but like, as good as gold. That's that's a saying. Bank is as good as gold. No, uh, the U.S. dollar is as good as gold, and it literally oh, wow. meant that like it was a saying that came when they switched from a gold standard to the U.S. dollar standard, backed by gold. Marketing. Right? The U.S. dollar <laughs> is as good as gold, right? And then they took the U.S. dollar off of gold, and so what's the U.S. dollar as good as anymore? Nothing. The will of someone, yeah, the will of someone, um, uh, deciding to print more. This is a very disrupted your tangent. And I know, no, but I'm gonna actually go on a really different tangent because I didn't understand the the intensity of this argument before. But the reason why a lot of people are pissed off uh, about uh, the stimulus that is being pumped into the economy is of the simple argument which is, well, why do we have to pay tax to the government if they can just print more money? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I had this conversation with someone the other day about UBI and how, like, I think that if UBI ever came about, we would essentially print ourselves into into oblivion. They're like, yeah, well, wouldn't you want people to have, you know, their basic needs met while we go to oblivion anyway? Like, they're they're kind of thinking that we're on it that road It just doesn't anyway. make sense, though. Anyway, that's a tangent that <laughs> is way far... <laughs> Well, it actually, here, let's pull it back into DeFi yeah. by saying that these decentralized financial services run with transparency. And what was the other word again? Transparency yeah. and uh, accountability. Was well, accountability is transparency. No, no, no. There's another one. Wait. Transparency. Auditability. Uh, immutability. No. Trust. Security. No. Oh, my. We would have to listen to the. <laughs> it just came so. They're so transparent. Easily. That's that's the main that's the main point. And uh, since they run with that accessibility. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It was accessibility. And since they run with those two things in mind, they they kind of form an appealing value offering uh, to the world, and that's kind of the promise that was made a couple of years ago with uh, these DeFi services starting to be built to be built on Ethereum. 
Right. Yeah. So, so you used Uniswap before? Would I've I? I've actually never used Uniswap. Oh, I thought you had. No, I used a a DeFi like a decentralized exchange called uh, Kyber, the Kyber network or the Kyber protocol. They kind of all do similar things. They're designed slightly differently, uh, but they all allow you to deposit some money and earn interest on it. Do you oh. know who the money's going to? Uh, no, not necessarily. Like I would imagine that it's going to be used. It, it, like for leverage in one way, shape, or form, but or another. But then is it transparent? Oh yeah, because in order to take for someone else to take out a loan, they need to provide collateral, right? And that's how the whole network is designed. So it's it's a series of checks and balances, so that if the market starts to tank and the collateral that they put up front to take out that loan that I loaned them, um, if the market goes down too much, then their collateral will be sold on the market to make up for any losses. But uh, how's that transparent? Well, it's not exactly transparent for the average individual because they can't read code. Right. Right. But for the people that can read code um, and go and check to see that this is the way it's supposed to work, then uh, then it's transparent in that sense. So you still need to trust someone at uh, at this current point in time. Like There still is a entity in the middle that is facilitating the transaction. You could call that the programmer, but, uh, right. but it, um, it's also... The code, once it's deployed, the programmer doesn't necessarily have a way to intervene in the ongoing process or the decentralized process. Now, there is a really big caveat to that. There's um, protocols on the Ethereum network with admin keys programmed in them. So like an admin override to the whole program, right? And like you could pause it, you could freeze people's accounts, you could turn off their tokens or, or revoke them from, from That's them. That's essentially like a master key. That's essentially like a master key. A master key sounds awfully centralized to me. So while we got this narrative of DeFi on Ethereum right now, there's these like hidden, not they're actually not that hidden, you can just look to see if they're there, but there's projects that like say, okay, we're going to do this. We need to do this in, in order to be compliant with the government. But this is one more example of the government influencing the direction of something that is supposedly quote unquote decentralized. If the government influenced it, it's not decentralized. I know. Well, you know, we I can I can see how someone can make the argument that, oh well, are you against your government then? Because are you so for decentralized that you don't want to live under a centralized entity, which is definitely uh, I don't know if I can say def with definite um, yeah, in integrity. I'm not anti-government. Definitely not. Like I'm not yeah, against but, the government. I'm I'm for freedom. <laughs> Being for freedom is not anti-government. Yeah, but you just said that the government's less influence over um, the ability to use DeFi. So no, that they isn't have, centralized enough. What I was saying with the influence is that they have the power to influence the architecture of that contract, right? So they're over there calling it decentralized, and meanwhile the government influenced the building of it. Well, the, the government, I mean, it can be any malicious party, not necessarily the government. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm literally speaking about the government because they made regulations okay. that said, like, look, these admin keys have to be there. Otherwise, uh, well, we can't let you have them on the exchange, for example. Why do you think that people uh, want so much control over other people? Uh, well, in order to be compliant, and there's a good argument there as well, like uh, there was a hack on, this, on an exchange called KuCoin. And a bunch of these tokens uh, that uh, got stolen off the exchange. And then KuCoin was able to contact the managers of these projects that had the admin keys and say, hey, like, can you, you know, forcefully remove these tokens from the hacker's hands? And like, okay, that's that sounds positive to me. That sounds like a good use case for this admin key. Um, it's just who is in control of this admin key? 
that's the real question because it it's all well and good until the uh the person that's in the possession group of people exactly the entity that's in possession of the admin key is the person that you don't or person group entity that you don't want to be in control of it that's kind of the um the argument for like free speech as well like you don't ever want to censor speech because it, it could be your government that like the government that you voted in or the government that you didn't vote in enforcing anti-free speech rules right and then who knows when that rule is going to be used on you and that's kind of the argument for not having an admin key it's like it's all well and good until it's in the hands of some that you don't want to have it yeah that's a <laughs> that's an interesting argument um I don't know what else to say about it. I'm just kind of trying to lay them out, not necessarily take yeah. a side. Yeah, it's certainly something to think about because even the way that governance works is in a group of people, like within a jurisdiction, for example, you vote for the person that you want to see in charge of your jurisdiction. But, you know, not everyone always gets what they want, <laughs> especially when there's so many different people with so many different perspectives on the way that things should be done. So yeah. with respect to governance, it's super interesting to uh, know who should have control, why they should have control, whether it should be more than one person, when do they get to exercise it, who gets to um, decide on the the fact that this person or group of people can get to exercise it. So know like who can put them in power can they always have that power super interesting stuff so i'm i want to take this back to like smart contracts for a moment all of those things that you just described uh those parameters like when does this get to happen in what conditions does that get to happen that's essentially code in a nutshell that can be so i mean like but still you know like humans are the one that produce code it's not like code writes itself well, not, that's kind of what our anyway. system is in, in a way like it's a bunch of rules that you know, you actually need a profession to to tease through in order to know what's going on. You need to be a lawyer. That's true. And there's good code, there's bad code, right? Like yeah, code, code good laws, bad laws. Good, yeah. So um, sometimes there can be errors in a code. Sometimes there can be people that can uh, forcibly attack the code and change it and manipulate it. So I feel like we're getting on a tangent. But yeah, no, I want to take it back to DeFi and say that the reason why we're able to do DeFi right now is because finance and numbers work a little bit more mechanically than laws and ethics and morals do right like le That's our legal true, system because we're like, digital we're way more digital no i just like numbers in general like there's not a lot of numbers in in law necessarily like it has more to do with ethics and morals and that's a lot more difficult to codify but like right. our DeFi, this DeFi emergent system that's uh sweeping the globe right now is it, we're, we're able to do this because numbers are in a different domain than the, than the legal system. I would say well, not just numbers, though, but the fact that we can manipulate those numbers or not, not manipulate, it's not the, a positive word, but work with numbers that are uh, digital. So, for example, we would not have been able to practice DeFi if we were still carrying gold or seashells as money <laughs> or salt as money. I don't know. I can't imagine where we could. You Perhaps in a closed I, I economy. I disagree with that. Like because okay. it goes back to like if we're using gold, then the money itself is decentralized, and so therefore it's DeFi. Um, like I think it matters more about what the thing you're actually transacting with. Like is the thing you're transacting with decentralized? Right. Okay. Rather so you're than the system it's built on. If gold, if we if we were using gold as money, then it's just having gold was a store of your wealth exactly and everyone on the planet virtually virtually everyone agreed on that and so in that sense that that decentralized agreement is DeFi, is decentralized finance so i wrote this in the article or in the letter 
that I wrote as well, gold is the last decentralized money we had as a society. Right. Like we have this hundred year gap where the US dollar just rose to be the reserve currency of the world. And like, this is an experiment. We've never had this really before where, uh, where gold wasn't underpinning every currency on the earth. And that would, that's not the case. Yeah. I have, I want to have my friend on, on our podcast cause he's studying, he's getting his master's in economics. And I was talking to him about this. He's like, well, having a gold black system is the worst system ever. And I wanted to dive deep into it with him, but, but very briefly, he laid out um, things like, well, we would never have seen the Industrial Revolution had we not had the ability to control the flow of money um, and the supply of money. So I think there's really good arguments to be made there. There's good arguments to be made for and against. Moderation is sometimes not exercised as well as it should be. <laughs> and I, 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 yeah, I just feel like it's like you said, it's an experiment and we're just learning. I mean, so, Bitcoin's an experiment as well. So we're just experimenting all the time with the economics <laughs> of the world. And hopefully we, we stumble on upon a system. I really do think that like an absolutely finite thing like Bitcoin is at least part of the picture, part of the puzzle. That's kind of why we are doing what we're doing, why we've bet <laughs> our our savings on, on Bitcoin in the way that we have. Right. Is because... It seems inevitable to me that Bitcoin is part of the picture of the, the future of a global finance. Right. Not necessarily Ethereum. Yeah, we're going to do another episode on Ethereum. A couple of my uh, my friends and some of our clients have been asking us, oh, Ethereum looks like it's going up. Should I buy Ethereum? And <laughs> I say no. And I give them a reason. So we'll have to dedicate another episode to that. Coming back to sort of summarize decentralized finance and you know, whether or not you should care about this. Again, the, the four financial services, the main four financial services are the storing of your money, the sending and receiving of your money, the ability to lend out your money or get a loan of money. And then the fourth one is um, being able to invest your money in something else. Yeah, we didn't exactly cover that one. I'd, I'd love for us to investment. Just, yeah, dive into that a little bit. Sure. So in 2017, there was thousands of tokens created, right? Up until 2017, uh, there there was dozens of cryptocurrencies, like hundreds probably if you looked hard enough. Uh, but there's an absolute explosion of the, the existence of these things in 2017 uh, because of Ethereum. Ethereum is, you can think of it as like a token platform, right? Where uh, like Facebook has many profiles, uh, Ethereum has many tokens. Uh, there's the core token of Ethereum. The whole lifeblood of the system is the. It's driven by this token called Ethereum or Ether, rather ETH. Uh, and yeah, Keegan, gotta get the ticker right. I gotta get the ticker right, <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta get the nomenclature right as well. It's not Ethereum that you're transacting with. Ethereum is the platform. Yeah, Ether is the cryptocurrency. Yeah, ETH heads would would not be pleased <laughs> with me right now. <laughs> uh, yeah, but Ethereum is this really cool platform where you can create lots of tokens. So you, you saw like tokens for everything, like environmentally friendly token, green token, um, like every every company and their dog had a, had a token in 2017. And uh, they all like rose in value quite explosively. But the point here is that not just with with DeFi, the fourth the fourth prong is investment. It's not just the ability for the average individual to invest in a range of projects, but to create their own project, 
to create their own token. And there's there's Bitcoin maximalists that say, look, Bitcoin's the be all end all. It's going to eat all of the other tokens at the end of the day. Like they're all going to zero. They're all worthless. And then the other stream is like, no, the ecosystem is big enough. There's cool use cases like the basic attention token, um, like Tether, uh, stable coins, like those are all tokens that are only made possible um, by Ethereum. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm just listening. You're so, nodding. <laughs> nodding your head. So you, sure. So you're saying that crypto, the world of cryptocurrencies has enabled people from all around the world to invest in projects taking place all around the world. Yeah. At the click of a button or several clicks of yeah. several buttons. So what that actually changed in the world is you had, if you wanted to invest in a, a project, if you wanted to be a venture capitalist, uh, you couldn't. Uh, before before bitcoin before blockchain before ethereum if for the for world projects specifically uh, yeah for the majority of people you were priced quote unquote it's called being priced out so in order to even be able to be an accredited investor which is the uh the designation that you need in order to be eligible to invest in projects you you need to be an uh, an accredited investor that means different things in different regions of the world and it's right. called different things in canada it means you need to either be a millionaire or you need to make more than $200,000 two years in a row. Is that in our province only, or is that Canada-wide? I believe that's Canada-wide. Okay. Yeah. And uh, if, I, if I'm wrong, someone can comment on this on this channel, on our video, anywhere you want. Right. Hit subscribe. Um, right. I had to throw that in there. Right. <laughs> go, go on with your tangent, though. Where was I? Well, you just said that the, in order to invest in something, oh, you needed right. to register with your centralized entity, usually the securities commission for your jurisdiction and say, hey, I have money. I want to put it in something. Yeah. So I'm I'm going to invest with you. And why is that? Is that for tax purposes? Oh, it's to protect you, Murga. Uh, well, Keegan, don't say it's so... <laughs> Patronizingly. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, I'm sure they have their reasons. I'm sure they do too. It's, you know, it literally is protection, but I could have said it in a less patronizing tone. <laughs> But that is kind of how I feel about it. When I learned about that's what it was, it's like, well, that's just one more way that the wealthy stay wealthier and get wealthier. Like they can pay someone. If you make $800,000 a year, I can pay someone $50,000 a year to invest $200,000 a year and have a bunch of money left over. Right? Right. Like I can pay someone to make good investments for me if I have a lot of money. But if I'm not even meeting the level that I, I need to, if I can't make $200,000 a year twice in a row, to even like be eligible, that's just completely pricing out 90% of the population. I think that that's to furthering the narrative that investment is for wealthy people and it puts um, a sour tone on investment for, you know, people in the lower class that it totally does. cannot in don't have money to invest. So, Note my sour tone. <laughs> yeah. Well, I see what you mean because like you said, you need to have a certain amount of money in order to invest. And I can... I can see how that made sense before because you can't, I mean, only if a hundred people come together and put a thousand dollars together, they can form a sizable investment for a particular project that can actually help the project. Right. Right. Like if, if just one person says, Hey, I have a hundred bucks or Hey, I have a thousand bucks and I want to loan it out to you, or I want to invest in your company. It's not truly going to be useful at the prices that things are priced at today at the thing, sorry, at the services that things are priced at today. So. I think that the point in time that we're at in, in, I was going to say in history, but <laughs> well, where, <in> history. <laughs> well, yeah, whatever has led to this particular moment, um, and this moment being like the past four years combined, 
it has given us the ability to bring the the top line down. Yeah, bring right? the bar down. Yeah, yeah, bring the bar down. Instead Lower the of, bar. Instead of bringing up the bottom line, we're lowering the bar. And now 100 people can come together and put 1000 bucks in a project and get a return of perhaps 10%. So this is exactly what happened to me in 2017. Uh, Ethereum, I, I got some Ethereum, I was mining it. And I was like, okay, cool, I got some, got some money. What do I do with it? And then these tokens started coming out. And one token in particular was uh, Monaco. And I invested in the Monaco ICO, the initial coin offering, the creation of the coin itself, right. of the project. And Monaco went on to become Crypto.com, right. actually. And, and then the token went on to become CRO. Exactly, right. yeah. And now CRO is doing quite well, and that ended up being a really cool thing. But you know how much I invested? I invested $80 in it. Right. I should have invested way more, but I invested $80 <laughs> in, in MCO tokens, and it was wicked. And like, it worked out a lot. Right. I invested in like 20 others that just completely tanked. <laughs> and uh, by the way, that's my my other private newsletter this week, is <laughs> the, the amount of times I got wrecked in 2017. That's, <laughs> that's the private topic. Nice. Yeah. Uh, my private talking topic keegan means that um if you're a private subscriber um to the newsletter. To keegan's newsletter then you get more things to read about keegan's experiences pretty cool my sister loves it and she's very uh, very critical of a lot of things so her liking it means he's actually doing a, a good job like more than a half decent job so I was pretty impressed that my sister complimented you. I was too. That was, you know how, <laughs> how critis, how much criticism my sister can can give. Can dish out. She's awesome, by the way. I'm not trying to say that. She's my older sister. She's kind of shaped me. We are getting off on a very different tangent. Anyway, bringing us back to summarize this particular episode. Should you care? I think you already are. Because if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten so far... You, you want to know how this impacts you. The way that it impacts you is you get the ability to put an extra $80 that you saved this month into a project that could turn your $80 into $100. That's $20 you didn't have before. And if you wait in it very uh, for longer, then it could turn into um, $180. Right? It could also go to zero. I was going to say that, yeah. <laughs> it could also go to zero. That's just with any investment you have the potential for the investment to fail actually, or succeed. I want to be really clear here. Like, I'm not recommending anyone go buy any ICO. Um, it, I was really amateur at it at the time, and I lost a lot of money. I probably would be better off if I didn't, but only in the sense that I learned something. That's the only like. You'd be better off if you what? Like, I'd be better didn't. off financially if I didn't invest in any ICOs. I don't you can say that because you learned a lot and well, okay look in bitcoin terms i can absolutely say that because okay. i first had to acquire bitcoin and then turn it into these tokens and uh like i would have way more bitcoin today than <laughs> than if i didn't invest in these tokens but like i'm very grateful that i learned what i learned um and i know that like okay if there's a project out there that's doing an ico I kind of know what to look for more than I did before. So there you go. Learning experience. You wouldn't be able to tell our audience all of this. You wouldn't be able to write That's a newsletter true. about it. Yep. Had you not failed, you would probably be an asshole if you succeeded. <laughs> I might already be an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe sometimes. All right. So, <laughs> I love you. 
the uh, um, the credit lending and loaning portion of uh, of DeFi, I think that actually constitutes a whole episode in itself because it's actually a really rich part of uh, of, of finance in general. Right. I was going to say of DeFi, but like in all of finance, like our entire financial system right now is built on debt. By the way, right. Like all your fiat money is debt. That's yeah. what it is. And um, maybe we can have another episode where we talk about. Uh, debt in the the CFI world, centralized finance world, and debt in the DeFi world. And we'll talk about how we use it, and when we use it, why yeah. we use it. Yeah, just today I actually was um, guiding a client of ours from getting her money into Crypto.com, and uh, we, we this, I mean, this engagement had been on for a long time since she had to wait until she had enough money to get enough Bitcoin to put it in an earn term that is now going to earn her 4.5% per annum for um, like three months of locking. Well, if she locks it in for a year every three months, then that yeah. she would make 4.5% on that amount of Bitcoin. So yeah, she was really happy that uh, we got to this point. And uh, yeah, more on that later. More so, it, you know, there's no real urgency to get into these uh, products and services immediately. You can wait, you can learn, and when you feel confident, you can enter into them so yeah that's that again a quick summary we talked about financial services these aren't even decentralized financial services but these are financial services like storing sending receiving money um lending loaning and, and investment and keegan added a fifth one earlier which insurance. is insurance yeah we didn't talk much about that but I, I don't really think that it warrants um being explored in this particular episode it doesn't i can say a quick note about it sure though. Yeah, uh, insurance requires truth to be known. And blockchain, I, I reject the notion that, yeah, point, look at the camera. Ruga pointed at the camera. <laughs> um, it, it, <laughs> um, blockchains are not truth machines. Uh, there's a, a book called The Truth Machine. Isn't that what it's called? Yeah. Um, no, they're actually really bad at truth. Uh, Bitcoin is good at truth if it's with respect to knowing things about Bitcoin and where Bitcoin is. Uh, but if you want to teach Bitcoin what the weather is and then have Bitcoin make a decision about um, where to send money based on what the weather is, it's going to have a really hard time doing this because what's the source of that information that tells Bitcoin where what the weather is? I know this is abstract, actually. This is I don't definitely... See, I don't see how it's related to insurance at all. Insu oh, well, insurance... Like, <laughs> How do I know what happened? Like, if I make a claim that a tornado hit my house, right. how do I prove a tornado hit my house right. to a decentralized network? Right. Do I just say that a tornado hit my house or who has to come? Usually, if, if like, with a regular insurance company, I make a claim, someone comes to my non-existent house, and if it looks like a tornado hit it, you know, they can check with the local weather person. And they can say, yeah, total tornado totally hit the house. But how do you tell the network that? How does that truth get validated on the network to in order to in order to release my my insurance, my money owed to me? Right. Right. So what was your point? Uh, my point was that blockchains are not truth machines and it's a, a very complicated aspect of DeFi that is not well done yet. Would you opinion. say would you say that DeFi is meant to be on the blockchain? Like you can't have DeFi if it's not on the blockchain though? I want to see DeFi on Bitcoin. Like yeah, I, I think that decentralized financial services probably have to be built on a blockchain that's probably the best place for them okay yeah i disagree cool why 
Well, let's just take the example of Airbnb because it popped into my head. Yeah. I would say that Airbnb is a decentralized hotel service. It's not built on a blockchain like none of their financials are. Financial are. Right. And that's actually the, the part that makes it not decentralized. Uh, Airbnb is decentralized housing or hotel. Right. But you have to be part of Airbnb in order to... Yeah, be an Airbnb. you have to be signed up on Airbnb and pass and like give them your name, your number, et cetera, et cetera. And you need to pay people on Airbnb. That's actually the point that makes them centralized is the payment mechanism, because it means they get to take a cut. They get to take a cut of every dollar that moves through their yeah, system. Yeah, but then there's fees on the blockchain, too. There is, but they're they're less because the blockchain's not a company. And so they're not, you know, paying for HR and paying for health insurance for everyone on, on anyway keegan let's let's just talk about this later because this is we're getting on a tangent that I, I don't really want to explore in this particular episode so thank you everyone for listening um the four points again will also be summarized in the show description along with the newsletter that keegan's written and if you have any comments if we've um said anything that has invoked a thought in your mind we would love to hear it because we love talking to people especially now since we're shut into our apartment and uh, we want to explore our other people's minds so we'd love to hear from you thanks again everyone for listening and watching and stay tuned